0: Welcome Files and welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave. This is the Tonsilla X-Pod. It used to be the Tonsilla X-Pod. It may be the Tonsilla X-Pod once again, someday. That name's old. Tonsilla X-Pod. If you're not a uh, long-time listener, that was uh, the original name of this show back in 2014 when I started it on the network uh, when I was in Chicago. And uh, decided to change it to rebrand it to uh, Escaping the Cave back in 2018. When I resurrected this thing, I took like uh, three years off, I guess. And uh, had started a blog and some other things uh, based on a lot of the travel stuff. I decided, yeah, I kind of like Escaping the Cave. It made sense because the, 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 the theme was uh, propaganda and stuff. So that was the cave. Getting out of that, you know, uh, getting away from people defining the the shadows on the wall. Plato's Cave. You with me here? (laughs) Probably not. So, I'm a little bit uh, out of sorts today. I'm forcing myself to do this. I tried very, very hard. I tried doing this last night. I was sitting in here for a few hours had a real problem getting things going. I got really frustrated about six o'clock this morning. I was just like, fuck all this. I don't want to do this anymore. I've got two computers. I've got a, a Mac sitting here. I've got a PC sitting over here. I've got the board here and trying to figure everything out. My mind just isn't uh, the dexterity that I used to have. Uh, I think going back and forth between these machines, maybe with age, maybe it's just that I don't really understand all this stuff as well as I thought I did. I don't know what it is, but yeah, I just threw in the towel this morning. And then, uh, got up really late. I'm on the vampire schedule. I'm recording this for the podcast folks about two o'clock in the morning, two twelve in the morning on February the 16th, 2023. I think this is episode number 116 for you folks. And uh, got up, was awake for about an hour this afternoon and got a text from an old friend saying that one of my best friends has died. One of my closest friends in high school. Now, He uh, had shot himself, attempted suicide, at about the age of, I want to say, 21 or 22. Now, this was like 32 years ago, and he has been in uh, a wheelchair in a care facility ever since then. I mean, I haven't seen him. I hadn't seen him in like five years. I'd gone and kind of kept track with him. My mother and his mother were friends, still are friends. So, you know, I kind of kept track. Uh, But for all intents and purposes, you know, I know that those of you that know Keith, this is going to shock you to hear it. I don't even know that I want to say it, but you you know what I'm talking about, I think. Keith, whoever he was 30 years ago died that day. He was never quite the same. He was still there. He was still partially there. He had memories he could converse with you, he could interact with you. But the essence of who Keith was he succeeded. Back in 1990, almost 32 years ago, I can't believe that. So it it hit me, but it didn't hit me. I don't think as hard as what happened to him that day in 1990. And uh, when she told me this, when uh, Heather texted me and told me, "Is this well?" I'm not. I don't know what I'm thinking right now. This just happened a few hours ago. I probably shouldn't. uh, uh, try to pontificate too much right now. Maybe I ought to let things settle a little bit. But uh, later on, just a few hours ago, I was just sitting here. I was going through some pictures. I've got a couple of pictures of him from way back when. I'm really like high school. And I'm looking at those and I'm thinking about some of the stuff that we used to do. Drive it around to this Bronco of his. And yeah, it's starting to sink in a little bit that he's gone. He's been gone for a long time. For all intents and purposes. Really. I mean, I, I can't I can't walk away from that. I can't deny that. But yeah, the finality of this. And that's the thing that that I think I was, I was thinking about this a little bit earlier. That's the the terrible thing about permanent solutions to temporary problems. I wish he could take that back because I, you know, I I think about who he was. And, you know, selfishly having my friend for the last 30 years would have been great. I would have liked to have seen what the friendship would have become. You know, with a lot of these folks, maybe we wouldn't be friends anymore. That's the way it seems to go these days with politics and whatever else. I don't know how he were, where he would have went. I don't know how any of that. But but I wonder. I wonder how his life would have turned out. Would he have had kids? Who would he have become? We'll never know. Permanent solutions to temporary problems. It's hard to judge, you know, somebody who's that miserable. I have some insight into what happened to him 30 years ago that not many people do. I I don't think anybody else does. He kind of let me in the door a little bit one night. I'm not going to share that here. I know he was tormented. But boy, one of those things that without judgment, you can't judge without walking in another man's shoes. And I don't know exactly how tormented Keith really was. But, you know, you're 20, 21 years old, lots of things can happen over the course of years. Time. Time heals a lot of things. And I really, I I would love to be able to jump into a game, into a movie, into, I don't know, a virtual reality headset, and see how his life would have turned out had he not sought out that permanent solution to what may have been a temporary problem. So that's a backdrop for tonight. (laughs) So I'm a little little weird up here. And I sat down. I found myself kind of getting into this pattern again, just kind of like retreating into my head again with this this news about Keith today. And on the heels of last night, the stuff that I had prepared for this morning, I didn't get it done. I felt myself like kind of, you know, I'm not in the mood for this. I don't want to sit here and record a podcast and do a live stream to nowhere, <laughs> nonstop to nowhere. But I have to uh, kind of force myself to get back into this a little bit uh, harder, whether I fucking feel like it or not. You know, I had a, I was doing my radio business. Didn't matter. Didn't fucking matter if you felt like going on in the air. A lot of times, I have a couple of shows. I didn't say shit. I didn't say a word. The maybe the first ten minutes. <laughs> Bosses never, I don't think they ever heard that, but I had nights. So I, was, I was essentially voice tracking. I was just pushing buttons, play a sweeper going into the commercial break. Didn't feel like it, but I showed the fuck up. I showed up for work. I know what that's like, and it's, it's, it's real easy, I think. When you're doing stuff like this and you don't have a paycheck coming in, nobody's paying you. I, purposely, I'm not I'm seeking out money for this because, as I've said millions of times in different episodes... Money changes things. Money changes your motivation. It changes the content because when you start chasing an audience because it has a paycheck or more money attached to it, you start tailoring the content to gather more people to gather more money. It's inevitable. I didn't want to do that. But the flip side of this is what the fuck motivates you then? Why go to work? Right? Where's the accountability? you got to be self-accountable in that case. I've been really bad about that. I've been really bad about that. So I'm trying very hard today to nip that in the bud. Got a lot of stuff here for today. Uh-huh. Like that? We had a shooting at uh, Michigan State yesterday up in Lansing. It's just about two hours from here. Three people dead, five seriously injured. Last I I, I checked... Also, the balloon drama continues. The uh, I'm going to talk a lot about, I think, is it East Palestine or West Palestine? Whatever Palestine that is in Ohio. I've got a lot coming up on that today. Uh, we're also going to talk about the uh, aftermath of that and how the news coverage is tailored, depending upon who you listen to and what angle they're coming from. That's going to determine whether or not the presentation, the narrative, the story, the news story that you get, positions these folks as worthy or unworthy victims. Now, this might sound familiar to you. I've talked about Noam Chomsky before. His book, Manufacturing Consent, really goes into that. How propaganda props people up as worthy or unworthy victims depending upon the spin of choice. And it's stark. It's fucking stark, kids. Let's get at it. Did I just say let's get at it? Oh, Jesus Christ. Is that a Chris Cuomo thing? You can't let me do that. Great. All right, as I sit here recording this, February the 16th, 2023, we're in the wake of the uh, shooting up at Michigan State University in East Lansing, which is about uh, two and a half hours from here. Last check, there were three dead, five seriously injured, and about six million recycled comments. Recycled comments everywhere. We've got to do something. I haven't really heard a lot of the thoughts and prayers crap this time. Maybe that's kind (laughs) of running its course after 10, 12, 15 years. And I'm not going to wade back into this uh, rhetorical circle jerk here, other than to mention one headline. That was from uh, the Washington Post, and it was written by Mr. Nightly MSNBC commentator, Eugene Robinson. When I watched MSNBC, this guy was on every single night. MSNBC contributor from the Washington Post, Eugene Robinson. Every single night, this guy was on there commentating about something. Well, of course, he's got to chime in here, but he did it on the, at the, on the Washington Post website. The headline read that uh, Michigan State shootings are a reminder. We must take the guns away. That was the headline of this piece published to the Washington Post website. We must take the guns away. Another emotionally exploitative comment by a professional influencer. This guy refuses to accept the reality and should not be taken seriously. The reality of guns in this country. We must take them away. What planet, what dimension are you living in? The Second Amendment is not going anywhere, and he knows it. And to repeat myself for the hundredth time, even if the Second Amendment went away tomorrow, kids, what does Eugene Robinson think could happen to the 400 million guns that are already out there? Getting rid of the Second Amendment if you know anything about how government in this country, in this country, how it works. If you know anything about that, you know that's a pipe dream already. But even if you could, even if you could go into fantasy land and eliminate the Second Amendment tomorrow, what are you going to do about the 400 million guns that are already out there? Are they just going to magically disappear as soon as the, the bill is signed and the Second Amendment's gone? Do they just vanish like farts in the in Remington wind? Do you think they're going to be turned in? You think all these gun owners out there just gonna okay? Here, ever hear the phrase "Molon Labe"? I don't know how that's pronounced. I think it's Greek. My Greek history is not that great, but way back when, I think it was uh, the Arabs. I think they were invading Greece, and I think the Spartans, when they were told to throw down their guns, replied "Molon Labe," M-O-L-O-N-L-A-B-E. It means "Come and take them." That's what's gonna happen. The Second Amendment's gone. You have to turn in your guns. Come get them. Come get them, fucker. I dare you. And I keep seeing these comments about gun control laws. Again, these are the recycled ones. They're the same ones that were being you know thrown out there every other mass shooting that seems to happen. Every other week now, or every week, twice a week, three times a week, every other day. You hear the same thing. We need more gun control laws. If you can pass all the gun control laws... You want to. Well, Basically, what that boils down to is saying, you can't have these. Please the don't do anything. But Earl walked right through that restraining order and put her in intensive care. Do you see the connection here? Earl walked right through the restraining order, put her in intensive care. The law said that he had to stay away from her. Earl, this fictitious guy the Dixie Chicks is singing about. Right? Oh my God! The law says you can't be anywhere near her. It's a great song by the way. Goodbye, girl. No peace. No, 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 no. So what? Write, write all the laws you want to. You Those laws are going to work about as well as Wanda's restraining order in this song. Someone doesn't care about the law, doesn't care about what happens to themselves. The laws are quite literally useless. If nobody agrees to abide by them, or if somebody, one person in this this instance, uh, doesn't agree to abide by the law as it's written, what good is it? It's about as good as a restraining order in a situation like this. Walked right through it, put her in intensive care. That's perfect. It's the perfect analogy for gun control laws. And all you feminists who happen to be liberals out there, you know what I mean. You're decrying domestic violence and you complain about domestic how domestic uh, restraining orders don't work. You understand the concept of why gun control laws are useless in controlling criminals. Gun control is not the issue. Gun possession is the issue. Having 400 million guns in people's hands around this country is the issue. I hate to tell you, there is no legislative solution. And if you think that you're going to come and you're going to seize all of these guns, pass any law you want, a dementia joke could go out there, you can, I don't know, sign an executive order tomorrow saying that each and every one of you have to turn your guns in on Sunday. And provided it, you know, somehow it would never do it. But say the Supreme Court said, yeah, that's constitutional. All guns are illegal. You have to turn them in. How is that going to work? Who is going to go door to door collecting these weapons that are out there in the hands of people who refuse to give them up? We have a very special relationship with firearms in this country based on our history. They wrote it in stone, in constitutional granite, into the Constitution for a reason. And you can't do anything about that if you're ignorant as to the process, how to overturn a constitutional amendment, the Second Amendment, what it would take to actually go through that process. Do you think it just has to go through the House of Representatives and the Senate and JoJo over there has to sign it? Sometimes I think that's how most of you think this happens. There's no good solution here, no legislative solution here. <sighs> These things happen with increasing frequency because something is broken socially, societally. If you have no ex- you know, interest in exploring what that is and doing it honestly, including a painful look inside of both yourself and your own little camp, you're doing little more than verbally masturbating in public. Full stop, Eugene. Up until the last couple of days, something else that no one else was talking about was that uh, derailment down there in East Palestine, Ohio. Happened on February 3rd, okay? Today is February the 16th, as I record this. Thirteen days ago, two weeks ago, up until the last two days, perhaps, almost no one was covering this. Maybe a little blurb here and there. But next to no one was really giving this thing the attention that it deserved. Now, Again, let me repeat this. The derailment happened February third. The balloon was shot down February fourth. I have to ask. A lot of people are asking. A lot of people are asking why then? They tracked this stupid thing. They they claim. I think I think I heard them say uh, today or this week. They've tracked they tracked it from launch in China. China. They knew it was there. Another story, they picked it up in, off the Aleutian Islands, Alaska, something down that line. Why did they let it cross the country? Why did they decide to shoot it down off the Carolina coast? Now, I'm not saying this is true, but a person could be forgiven for wondering if they needed a distraction from something. Could it be a convenient distraction from what they knew was coming in Ohio? Maybe they knew what was on those, those trains, those chemicals, the the, the actual effect. Now, some people are calling a little mini Chernobyl, a public health disaster for those people in Ohio. Much more on this is coming in a few minutes. But how many people are talking about Joe's classified documents now? And then you talk about vanishing like a fart in the classified wind. Nobody's talking about it now. Mike Pence, hearing all sorts of shit about that. And Donald Trump, more on him, his classified document. But what about Joe? What happened to that? The balloon and the train happened to that. The balloon happened to both of those. And shortly after the balloon was shot down off of the Carolina coast, for all the world to see, mind you, I read that some of the uh, recovered balloon debris (laughs) had English writing on it. Some of the parts were labeled in English. And I got to ask, have the false flag conspiracy started yet? Have you heard them? Have you heard any of them? Should I start one, maybe? A better way to force chatter about your classified document hypocrisy and an environmental disaster down in Ohio than a foreign incursion or maybe what turned out to be maybe, oh, it could be aliens. I really hoped it was. Oh, I was praying to God it was aliens. I hoped E.T. was here. Oh, boy. First, I want to see them. (laughs) And then I want to watch you guys react to aliens. There would be nothing better than to watch this country, in particular, but humanity, just try to grapple with the fact that aliens are. So I'm like, okay, please let it be aliens. What aliens? Nah. In fact, now they're saying that they uh, they think it might have just been commercial balloons, ordinary little balloons. Some dude th- company flew up there, and they either panicked. Oh shit! Uh, more boom. There goes the weather balloon. Or they use that as a convenient distraction. Secondary distraction away from Palestine and uh, Joe's document situation. But either way, I mean, the, 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 the alien conspiracy, the, the alien fear in a lot of cases, it was fed by this staggering amount of silence. I don't think that's still been addressed. I think they said that, well, no, it doesn't. No, they did address it. <laughs> that's what they said. Uh, no evidence it was alien in nature. In fact, it could have just been commercial balloons. But it took them days to do it. So, is, is it a conspiracy? Was it intentional? Did they ignore this? Did they use it as a distraction? Did they time the downing of the original balloon off the Carolina coast to most effectively distract the American public from East Palestine and the document scandal? That was all over the place before that balloon was shot down. Who knows? Am I crazy for asking? Hmm? Depending on what side of the aisle you're on, if you're a Democrat or a good liberal no that's nutty he'd never do that on the other side now if you're trump supporter hell yeah you need to ask that you folks who just want to you know throw that out willy-nilly because it's joe biden and it's a democrat you're probably right it probably is just a, a harebrained conspiracy theory but would you be saying the same thing would you think the same thing if it was donald trump or george bush in office of course you wouldn't your skeptical radar would be blaring that's what we need We need people who can apply the same level of skepticism to people that they like and and parties that they even kind of support as they do to people they can't stand, to the party they can't stand, the opposition party. That would terrify, terrify politicians. it would make their job a hell of a lot harder, too. Can you imagine uh, St. Pierre, whatever the fuck her name is there, the press secretary, if she had her own people ripping her to shreds every single day? What about Sarah Huckabee Sanders when she was press secretary for 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 the Don Don? If you if she if they had Republicans tearing into the inconsistency and the ob- the obvious lies, I mean it's her job. I'm not gonna get I'm not gonna get on their case too much. That's what they are paid to do. White House press secretaries are literally White House propagandists. It's literally their job. If they don't spin propaganda, on a daily basis, in front of the press, and in front of the American people, they don't have a job. That's what they are hired to do, literally. But it would make their job a hell of a lot harder if their own people were as skeptical of them as they are people on the other side. That's when you have a healthy democracy. That's when you have a healthy press. Can you imagine? I got more on Tucker Carlson coming up here in a few minutes. But can you imagine if Tucker Carlson had that same aggressive, skeptical, cynical attitude applied to Republicans as he does Democrats. Both sides, treating them like adversaries. No matter who's in office, they're politicians. Treating them like adversaries. Skeptical, almost vicious skepticism. Do you think government would look a little bit different? (laughs) The media sure as hell would, obviously, but do you suppose government? Do you suppose society would look a little bit different if everybody was trained to not cheer for your team? But maybe, maybe have a, <laughs> a conference realignment where your team is the public, and the opposition is anybody in power, any politician whatsoever. It doesn't matter the letter after their name. You have to treat them like an opposite, like a uh, what's the word? Uh, a hostile witness. However you want to look at it, they are not on your side. They are always lying, treating them that way, and, and making sure that you, you're trying to, to suss out every lie, every inconsistency, every fucking spin. Now, the media can't do that. The for-profit media cannot do that. I mean, they could appeal to us, but who's who's going to give them access then? Who's going to go on the Sunday talk show? What politician is going to go on the Sunday talk show when they know that whoever is hosting it is just going to rip them to shreds and tear every, like a hostile witness on the stand? Who would go on there? And it's a lot more profitable. I don't know. I don't know that it would be. I think that would sell. More people might watch that. Watching, I don't know, Chuck Todd. The only one that I can think of is on a Sunday mornings. But watching him rip every politician a new asshole every time. Every single week. I'd watch that. Hell yeah. I'm all over that. That's what we need. I I think that was sort of, philosophically speaking, anyway, I don't know if it's ever really been this way. I think it's always been kind of down this uh, our team, your team crap. But I think philosophically speaking, I think that was what was intended for the free press. It was supposed to be adversarial all the time, assuming that whoever was in power was not on your side, had nefarious intentions, was there for some other reason than the public good. Having that as the default setting, not just this team crap, like our team's good, their team's evil. I don't know if we've ever really had that, but I wish we had it now. You know, one outlet, one channel, one paper, something that's not cheerleading one side and damning the other side to hell as a heretic, a blasphemer, as evil as Hitler. If we had one, that would be great. So yeah, Democrats one or two of you who may be listening why don't you apply that burning skepticism that you had for Trump to your own guys and, and Trump bots you Trump people who love him who hang on every fucking word that Trump said trying to hang Joe Biden in effigy yet you follow that buffoon why don't you turn the same skepticism you have toward Biden, AOC and the rest of them? I'm right there with you but why, why can't you turn that toward Trump do you think we'd be better off a little bit? I, I, I've never really understood that. I I, I, th- I I come from the position, and I've noticed this in myself. I mean, <laughs> I'm always against <laughs> who's ever in office. I hated George Bush. I didn't get political until George Bush in that tw- uh, election in 2000 and then the Iraq War. I didn't give two shits about politics before that. Obama, I called him hair-hopey change. Never really bought into any of that. I knew that the, the Obamacare was, it wasn't health care reform, it was insurance reform. You just mandated you had to buy insurance. Right? Never bought into him. And then came Trump. I, <laughs> you want to see him, I'll take some screenshots of some of the shit that I said the four years that Trump was in office. And Joe Biden lost me before the election. You could see where that was going. But isn't that the way this should be? Isn't that the the, the healthy skepticism not being for anyone? Make them prove it. Make them prove beyond a reasonable doubt that they have your best interest at heart. Instead of just going along and playing the Manchurian propagandist role that I've talked about, post-hoc rationalizationing for them, and then spreading it and farting it into the, the virtual ecosystem rationalizing and justifying everything your team says because it's your team, take the other track. Rip it to shreds. Play the part of the cancerous cynic on everything a politician says or does. That would get us to where we need to be. Anyway, that was a fun tangent. Wasn't intended. That's how this shit goes. (laughs) We'll, we'll call him a railroad insider. I'm going to call him Ziggy McFly. That's his name for the uh, Escaping the Cave podcast purpose. Ziggy. Had a little conversation with him the day before yesterday. We had talked about maybe, or maybe it was last night, whatever. Anyway, Ziggy contacted me, let me know that he had insight, insider information, and insider perspective on what happened with that train in East Palestine, Ohio, the chemical train. Leftist guy, he's a union guy. Really pro-union, I mean, real pro-union. So my initial thought was that, okay, well, he's going to probably operator error, right? That something happened with his train that was the the conductor, the engineer's fault, or maybe somebody's fault uh, didn't do their job, and the train, and it was their fault, and he was going to give me you know the union perspective on it. I tell you, I don't want to hear that. I want nothing to do with the union perspective on something like this, if it had to do with what we'll term operator slash human error. He assured me that that was not the case. So I'm going to read directly from what he wrote. This is Ziggy McFly, Marty's cousin. Maybe I should have named him Emmett. What he said was the glowing fireball was an overheated roller bearing on the end of the axle. It's on every single piece of rolling stock on every train in North America. Again, he works for the railroad. He knows what he's talking about. He's been doing it for decades. This isn't a novice. This isn't somebody who's read up on trains. He deals with them every single fucking day and has for years. He says when they fail, they overheat and become what's known as a hotbox. Railroad terminology, I guess. Hotbox. And if these hotboxes go undetected, the metal heats up and eventually the end of the axle burns off. Literally. Wheels are no longer held in place. The wheel drops off the rails. If the wheel drops off the rails, I'm sorry. All kinds of hell can break loose, as evidenced by what happened in East Palestine. He went on to say that they had the exact same thing happen someplace in Michigan a few months back. I googled it. It's there. No hazardous materials were involved with that one. I looked it up. I think it said it was sugar. He says that uh, busy main lines have what are known as hot box detectors and dragging equipment detectors roughly every 10 miles that are designed specifically to sense these things. They take temperature readings of the entire train as it passes over, and if a problem is detected, it broadcasts pertinent information over the proper radio channel that they are required to be monitoring while the train is moving. They stop, they go for a walk, they determine what the fuck's going on, and uh, sometimes 10 miles is not frequent enough. Especially if a bearing is starting to fail but has not yet reached a critical temperature. These detectors are set only to transmit problems at temperatures above 225 degrees Fahrenheit. If it's at 220, it won't go off. They get a no-defects transmission over the radio. That was basically confirmed today. Most of the reports that I have seen talking about or speculating about what happened to that train in East Palestine, Ohio, that's exactly what it sounds like. He saw a video. Somebody had posted a ring video. That showed like a like a glowing fireball beneath this train just before it crashed in East Palestine. He could tell exactly what it was right away. He knew exactly what that was. He described it really well. Pretty much everybody that I've seen who's not a conspiracy theorist, uh, they're, what they're saying probably happened. Uh, one report, a headline I saw said, "Oh, that train might have been on on fire for twenty miles." Boom, boom, boom. Now <clears throat> he's a union guy. He's a union hammer. Union hammers, always see corporate greed nails. So that's where he went. That's where he wants to. He wanted to take it. He wants to blame the railroad corporation, the industry, for all of the uh, cuts that they've made. I think it's 29% of their force. 29% is that right? I don't know. Something like that. They've lost a lot of people in the last six years. A lot of that was during COVID. I need to catch up here because this is where I have to edit because I was going to go all into this. He gave me a a pretty much a dissertation on why he thinks this was corporate greed. Basically, what he said was that uh, maybe I should read this whole thing because I don't want to give the wrong impression here. Long story short, I'll try to nutshell it as best I can because I really don't want to go through this whole thing. His viewpoint is that what happened in East Palestine, probably had to do with layoffs, with the railroad not having enough people on hand, enough people staffed to where they have to consolidate trains, they have to have people doing more work. I understand this from radio, man. We They did that when when radio started bean counting, <laughs> and they needed to save money, and they wanted to keep profits where it needed to be. They started letting people go. And then the people who remained, we're told that they had to do more and more and more for about the same amount of money and he's kind of saying the same thing here right what he's saying is that the maintenance that was done perhaps on this hot box what became this hot box was done by people who were tired who were overworked could possibly have been due to Receiving half ass inspection by an overworked mechanical inspector because they have furloughed over 60% of the car knockers, I assume that's the yard workers, everywhere on the system. Have they furloughed them? Have they been furloughed? That was my question. Either way, they're not there. 60%, according to him, his number, 60% of the employees who were there at one point are not there now. He blames bean counters. He blames corporate greed. I get that. I expect that from him. Right? I, it doesn't mean I have to take it at face value. Not, not 100%. I don't think he's lying. I think he actually believes that. But is that actually the case, or is there more to the story? That's what I wanted to know. So he says that uh, the engineer was just running a, a massive train over a hilly, curvy stretch of the rail with shoddily maintained equipment. He's familiar with this area. He's actually, I think he's run that rail before, that route, Toledo to Pittsburgh. He claims that if you uh, complain about shitty equipment, you get a target on your back. Uh, You have to deal with scrutiny from maintenance, uh, management rather, that can lead to discipline up, up to and including termination. So basically, you don't want to be a whistleblower. You're going to be targeted. Your job's in jeopardy. He mentioned this because my question was, was this operator error? And my reply to that was that shoddily maintained equipment falls under the umbrella of operator error, human error at least. Maybe not operator, maybe not the the engineer anybody aboard the train, but human error led to this. The equipment does not maintain itself. Where my head went with all this is not just directly, you know, laser beam focus on the corporate structure, the bean counters. Listen, companies exist to make money. Primarily, first and foremost, a corporation, a company, I don't care who it is and what it is. Unless they're being run by a billionaire or somebody who's already a billionaire and has these mythological, mythical, altruistic qualities. They start a business to make a living, to make money, to make profits. First and foremost, they're not primarily there to give anyone a job. That's not why they exist. They exist to do a job and to make money. and They, they provide employment to that end. That's it. Now, I know liberals and conservatives have different viewpoints on this. I'm not going to get into all that. But to me, this, this seems like there was a failure higher up. What I said to him was the more th- one thing more potent than bean counters is federal oversight. You know, we all grew up, people my age grew up remembering Ma Bell, how it was broken up at some point. Mayor Pete has basically said nothing about this. He was complaining and whining and bitching about how there were racial inequities in infrastructure work crews. He chose to talk about that while this train was burning the other day. But if this is a failure in federal oversight, a failure with uh, the Fed, of the Fed, to properly monitor and regulate this industry, making sure that there are enough people in the yards to do the job that they're expected to do, This is infrastructure. This isn't Taco Bell. This isn't the same thing as was happening to us a couple of years ago when Taco Bell couldn't get enough people. I was pissed off about it, too, man. I wanted not Burrito Supreme. Burrito Supreme, two soft tacos. I wanted them. (laughs) We drive up there, like eight o'clock on a Friday night, Taco Bell's closed. I'm pissed off. Why were they closed? They couldn't get enough people to work. This is not the same fucking thing. This is a critical infrastructure a critical transportational infrastructure, critical to the supply lines of this country. It needs oversight. If there's something wrong, the federal government has to be involved with. I don't care about the profits. I don't care about anything else. Federal government, somebody has to ensure that the job is being done safely, effectively, efficiently. If they can't do that, if they can't make sure that chemical trains are not being dragged across the fucking country in good enough condition where their wheels aren't going to fucking fall off, if they can't do that, what good are they? You talk about silence. You talk about a screaming silence. Where in the hell is Buttigieg on this? Where were they before? Uh, fine, I'll take Brian at his word. I mean, there's a lot of information that I have here about why the railroads don't have the staffing that they need to actually do the job right. A lot of reasons. COVID, you Now they got, they got caught with their pants down what a lot of these uh, uh, non-union uh, and non-corporate, these are like agriculture people who are talking about why the railroads are behaving the way they are, trying to give like a little explanation of that. And what pretty much all of them say was that they, they, they cut staff, they dropped their staffing because of COVID, and then were caught flat-footed when <laughs> their business picked up quicker than they expected. They didn't have the, the people on hand to work because they laid people off. a lot of people did during COVID, right? So they fucked up. They made a mistake. Well, why haven't those people been brought? Be brought why haven't those people been brought back? Now, it's not as cut and dried as to say, "Oh, they're just greedy. That's his perspective. isn't you guys going to say that. I get it. I understand that. But a lot of people are having a lot of trouble finding people to work. This great resignation thing. Quiet quitting. I know that my wife <clears throat> works in HR at a huge, huge multinational corporation. She has had, she has come home with horror stories about how hard it is for her to find people that want to work. It's almost impossible for her to find people, or was anyway. I don't know how this has changed. Maybe it's gotten better. Maybe it's gotten worse. We haven't talked about it in a long time. But, the last year, two years, is she was having such difficulty finding people to work. If, if she, this is an, she works at an, an indoor factory kind of place, right? If she's having problems finding people to work, who are you going to find? How many people are lining up to go stand outside to maintain rail cars, railroad equipment, the bearings or whatever the fuck it was that caught on fire down there? Are they suffering from the same thing? where they laid off, a bunch of people got flat-footed, and now on the other side of the pandemic, after all of the, the free money or whatever, I don't know whatever it is. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to you know, just lob that out there. But whatever the reason is that people can't find workers, can't find employees, are they suffering from the same thing? Is that why this happened? I don't care why. I really don't. Again, this is not Taco Bell. This is a major part of the transportation supply line infrastructure in this country. Some of the stuff that goes in those cars on those trains is incredibly dangerous poisonous chemicals. We're seeing it. You're seeing you're seeing the response and how these people are being affected down there in East Palestine now. I don't care why. I just don't. This falls under what is it? What do you call it? The Federal Railroad Administration. Right? The FRA is under the DOT, Department of Transportation. So Something's going wrong, going, going on with these, these uh, railroad companies. They're not able to do their job. And they're not able to do their job safely. It's the federal government. It's the Department of Transportation's job to know that and do something about it. Or otherwise, they're fucking useless. They're a waste of money. I understand where he's coming from on this. I understand there's probably, there might be an angle to this, too. It's not a black and white issue. Things are rarely black and white. I know we live in a black and white world, literally and <laughs> figuratively. But that strikes me as another example of that. So where, where's the Fed here? Where's Jej? I've not heard anything about this. I've not heard this address. That to me, to me, just my opinion. That's why you're here, to hear my opinion. That's where the accountability, that's where the buck stops. That's where the accountability goes. Straight up to the top like a fucking rocket ship. So Tuesday night, I spent uh, an hour, an hour of my life, I'll never get back, uh, enduring Aaron Burnett and CNN, 7 o'clock show, to see for myself how they're uh, covering Ohio's chemical train derailment and the ensuing national or natural disaster. Calamity for these people. She didn't mention it one time that I saw, not once, She devoted the entire first half of her show to Ukraine and Ukraine's suffering, but did not mention what was going on in East Palestine the entire show. But by way of comparison, I decided to switch over to Tucker Carlson and uh, compare notes. He was all over it. He devoted most of his show to it, if I remember correctly, in reference to Transportation Secretary uh, Pete Buttigieg. He hammered home what I was talking about earlier, how Mayor McPete, was happy to talk about racial inequality, and construction crews almost completely ignored what's happening in rural Ohio. So he decided to sing the woke refrain instead of addressing what's turning into an ecological and public health disaster in the heartland. It got me to thinking about a couple of years ago, watching Rachel Maddow when I was in the uh, little more of a liberal camp. I used to watch her show quite often. I liked Maddow once upon a time. But she went on a, a almost a literal Flint crusade. You remember that? Before she was uh, sort of disgraced by the Russia, Russia, Russia coverage. She was all over Flint. All over it. And the left-leaning media's silence. It is. All the way across. I've, I've watched not just uh, Aaron Burnett, but I've, I've watched quite a bit of CNN this week. It's deafening. It's deafening. Up until maybe the last day or two. I think they're kind of getting a hint how people are seeing the lack of coverage here. But up until that. I don't know. I didn't watch anything today. But what I saw, I saw almost nothing from left-leaning media. Tertiary mentions, maybe. Cursory mentions, maybe. I had to ask myself, I'm, I'm like, you know, would the coverage be so sparse? Say, for example, if this train wreck, this derailment, this chemical burn was happening in Washtenaw County up around Ann Arbor. If this was happening in Ann Arbor, do you think (laughs) the liberal media complex would be all over it. Or if it happened in Flint, of course, Gary, Indiana, twisted into a racial thing, calling it environmental racism. If they could do that, they'd be on it. But there's no agenda down there. I wonder if Al Gore and Greta, Grouchy Greta, Greta Thunberg, would she have something to say? This was happening in some place like Ann Arbor or Portland. Then around San Francisco and California, anywhere in California. How dare you? Anywhere in California. What would she be saying? What would she be saying to these railroads? What would she be saying to Mayor Pete's silence? How dare you? Yeah. Al Gore, we, nowhere. Nobody's saying anything about this. I can't say nobody because Erin uh, Brockovich, she sees it. She's been as, as much out front. Sorry, Erin. As I've ever seen her returning to Tucker Carlson. He was asking, I guess it was Tuesday night whether the silence was because these uh, poor people were poor whites, whether their whiteness made them unworthy victims. This is what I talked about in the open. Noam Chomsky went into this in uh, Manufacturing Consent. Worthy and unworthy victims. Does their whiteness make them unworthy? Does the whiteness make them unworthy in some twisted spirit of equity? Does it make them less worthy than Flint's residents were a couple of years ago, as I mentioned with Rachel Meadow? He also mentioned how... These were not Trump voters, or these were not, sorry, these were Trump voters, 70 percent, Donald Trump in the last election. So this is Trump country. A lot of people talked about that during the Trump presidency, where Donald Trump basically ignored counties, regions, states that uh, didn't vote for him. Is Joe Biden doing the same thing? Is his administration doing the same thing? Is Buttigieg doing the same thing? Buttigieg is from this part of the country. He lives here in Michigan now, up around Traverse City, I guess. He's from South Bend, Indiana. This happened in Ohio. He should have some connection to this, don't you think? Nothing. Is it because they're unworthy victims being white, they can't play the race card, they can't spin it as a racial issue, or is it because it's Trump country and they didn't support Dementia Joe in the election? Is it any of that? Is it any of that? Millions and millions of people are asking that same question, that very question, that line of questioning, that internal dialogue going on in their heads and it's happening <laughs> probably at a lot of kitchen tables a lot of a lot of water coolers around the country i'm wondering how is this not a bigger story how is this not drawing greta thunberg how dare you and al gore out of the woodwork where are they these poor white rednecks unworthy victims Unworthy of the time, unworthy of the coverage, unworthy of the compassion, unworthy of the public assistance, unworthy of everything. They're just poor whites. Fuck them. Poor whites who didn't vote for Biden. Carlson asked, he verbalized all of this, like I said, what tens of millions of race war weary Americans have been thinking for days and weeks. (gasps) In some cases, a lot longer than that. Not necessarily on this story, but that theme, that general theme. Tucker Carlson owns the highest ratings, the highest ratings of any cable news show. I know it's commentary. I get it. He has the highest ratings of any single one of them, aside from hyperbolically insinuating that Buttigieg was evil. He did that the other day. Kind of, eh. It was, of course, ideologically blasphemous to those supporting the burgeoning woke theocracy. But I could not find anything inaccurate in what he said. Again, I understand it was blasphemous. To this burgeoning, like I said, burgeoning woke theocracy is trying to be established in this country. Everything he said was ideological heresy, but I couldn't find anything factually, factually speaking, inaccurate. But nothing stood out to me. Nothing stood out to me as, oh my God, this is like off the the far end of that ridiculous propaganda scale that I talked about with uh, <laughs> when I was doing the the types of propaganda back back in the day. The best propaganda. Deals with facts, tells the truth, tells truths, spun truths. The worst propaganda talked about with uh, Goebbels back in uh, Hitler's regime. He always said that the worst kind of propaganda is the kind that tells blatant lies because once those blatant lies are exposed to your people, you lose credibility. You open up the door to counter-propaganda. So was it propaganda? Of course it was. Everything's propaganda nowadays. Everything's propaganda is nothing propaganda. I don't know. That's for another show. But I could find nothing factually inaccurate about this. Fox News is watched by infinitely more people each day than any other news network. Why? Because they have seen the boomerang. They've seen the boomerang and gotten ahead of its arrival. Fox understands the simple and painfully clear demographic math at play here. This country's still 60% white, whether you like it or not. It's true. Basic tribal psychology makes it obvious to anyone not embracing willful political ignorance that it's better business to appeal to rather than alienate the majority. It's better business to appeal to rather than alienate the majority. That's what Fox News does. These from these other networks, they made a decision, along with a woke, a woke flake hell, to attack the majority. We'll see how this plays out in the end. I I understand that they think that long-term minorities, that whites are actually going to be the minority in this country. They may be right about that. Probably factors into a lot of immigration policies. That's not wrong. Have I told you the story about the guy in in New Mexico? I'll do this really quick. I I wanted to do more on this, but there's fact to that. There's something behind that. It's not conspiracy theory. He admitted this to me in 2004. Uh, I worked in Taos, New Mexico for a radio group down there that was owned by uh, a family who had at some point immigrated from Mexico. They moved to Taos. They, he got got involved in politics. He bought a radio station, blah, blah, blah. Hired me in 2004 to go uh, go work there. First job I had after moving to New Mexico, his brother, he didn't like me. (laughs) He didn't like white people. (laughs) He didn't like white people at all. We got along. Okay. But you could tell. And he looked at me one day, he sneered, and he was like, you know, we're just going to move in and take over, don't you? We're going to move in, we're just going to take over. We're going to keep coming and coming and coming, eventually you're going to be the minority. Dead serious about that. I don't know if he meant Mexicans, I don't know if he meant minorities, I don't know what he meant. Exactly. But the implication, the very clear implication, coming from a Mexican, in Taos, New fucking Mexico, they have him there, was that, yeah... There is a political, a a racial and political insurgency afoot, an intentional one. There's something to that. I'm not saying we should stop it. I'm not saying we should end immigration. I'm not saying we should throw all the Mexicans out. I love Mexicans. I love Mexico. I still support immigration, legal immigration. I don't see anything wrong with somebody coming up here from Guatemala and Honduras. I've been to those places. I've seen how they live. I understand why they want to come here. I support it. Done the right way. But when you're using that as a political weapon to disenfranchise the majority, to cynically disenfranchise the majority. What are you doing? And people are supposed to, they're, they're supposed to ignore this. So this is the calculus, I think, that they've done. They think that long term, the long game, that it's smart to start demonizing the majority, the white majority in the country. And that's exactly what they've done. What do you think the term whiteness means? It's not a term of endearment. White supremacy, whiteness, white privilege, white this, white that, white this, white that. You're, they're demonizing the majority. I understand it. I do. In the short term, to go back to Fox, as far as business goes, that's why they have more viewers. That's why they're dominating as MSNBC and CNN. They've <laughs> chose to appeal to, to the majority. I want to revisit that point that I was just talking about, though, at some point. I want to delve into that a little bit deeper because... I know demonization. I, I, I did a, a little bit of a deep dive. Not quite as deep as I wanted to go, but I did a deep dive into agitation propaganda a few years ago in 2019. The episodes are back there, August of 2019. Go listen. Go look. Uh, yeah, go find them. Go listen to them. One of the things that they need, one of the things that they do is they it inspires, it triggers, it manipulates hatred. Hatred that is already there just beneath the surface waiting for an excuse to come out. You have to demonize somebody. We've got this going both ways. Republicans, Democrats do it to each other. We are awash in agitation propaganda. We are Manchurian agitation propagandists. A lot of us. If you think one team's good and one team's evil, you probably fall into that category. I'm sorry. But that leads no place good. That is, agitation is the propaganda of insurgency. And that ties into what I talked about with uh, Newton's third law of extremism. For every radicalization, there's an equal and opposite radicalization. Well, you demonize somebody, you've gone off the extremist end, there's going to be a reaction to it. That's the boomerang. And the ultimate goal, from an external perspective of agitation, propaganda, of introducing that into a society from an external perspective, from the outside, the goal of that is obviously destabilization. Get the country at each other's throat, weaken them, destroy their will, have them so focused on how much they hate each other that you can do pretty much anything you want to them. Now, you start talking about Chinese balloons and surveillance and all this other stuff. That was where my head went initially. That we may be destabilized enough, we may hate each other enough to where any bad actor could pretty much do anything they wanted. I mean, what would happen? Let's just let's just play the you know the the stupid uh, devil's advocate game here. But what would happen if China China came across like uh, the Aleutian Islands invaded, uh, I don't know, Alaska and what's that, uh, British Columbia? But what would the people do? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I think there is a huge faction, a huge swath of this country that says America deserves it because racism. America deserves it because white supremacy. America deserves it. Fuck them. They support them. Now and then you hear chatter about communism. And from my liberal days, I'm 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 conditioned to go, oh, don't but I have met communists. I know communists, literal communists. I didn't know any when I was a kid. I didn't know any when I was in my 20s, 30s. I know them now. Literal communists. And it's all fed by this oppression narrative, uh, racial oppression narrative, white supremacy, whiteness. America deserves to be torn down. That's the narrative. And replaced by something for the people in the name of justice. Right? I've said on this show lots of times, a bunch of times justice doesn't exist. It's not a real thing. It's an idea. It's an abstract concept that does not exist anywhere outside of the fertile human imagination. It's not a real thing. You show me in nature, in the universe, anywhere else, in the entire known universe where justice exists, outside of the human fucking mind. It doesn't. (coughs) And if you want to protest, you want to hold on to that belief, you need to tell me where the justice is in an infant who was born three days ago dying in a house fire. Where's the justice? Oh, everything happens. No, stop. Everything happens for a reason. Whack. Things happen. Not for a reason. Things happen. Justice is a human concoction. Both to make us feel good, make us believe that things are fair, I guess, but also to keep us in line, also to give us some structure socially. But that takes cooperation. That requires the majority, the vast majority, almost all of the country, to agree with the definition of justice. What is just? You start talking about reparations, and you start talking about using the term justice and vengeance interchangeably. Retribution? That's not justice. Retribution is not justice. Sometimes we have different words for different things, because they mean different things. Justice and vengeance are not the same. In order to have a society that functions properly, you've got to be able to agree on what justice is, right? You with me? I got this little, uh, I don't know what you call it, little story, I guess, from uh, Walter Lippman. I was digging through, uh, I think it was Phantom Public a couple of years ago, and I absolutely loved this. I decided to yank it for this uh, specific piece because I think it, it shows the example really well. What is justice? Justice is a matter of perspective sometimes. So when you have a country... You have a nation, a justice system, and your justice is your goal. As close to it as you can, you have to come from the perspective, an objective perspective of as being an American. Because once you start putting that in hands, in the hands of individuals dependent upon their identity, they start taking it from an identity perspective, you go at each other's throats. Their idea of justice becomes oppression to somebody else. Sound familiar? So is that justice? Is turning the table justice, or is it vengeance, or is it retribution? Those are not the same things. And once you get into this realm, once you start going at each other's throats, good luck. I guess I could go back to the agitation thing here, huh? I won't. Anyway, here's the story. It's uh, from J- uh, Charles Darwin. I took this uh, directly from the uh, Lipman book. And what he says is that uh, Darwin's story of the cats and clover may be recommended to anyone who finds it difficult to free his mind of the assumption that his notions of good and bad are universal. The purple clover is cross-fertilized by the bumblebee, and, therefore, the more bumblebees, the better next year's crop of clover. But the nest of bumblebees are rifled by field mice, which are fond of the white grubs. Therefore, the more field mice, the fewer bumblebees, and the poorer the crop. But in the neighborhood of villages, the cats hunt down the field mice. And so the more cats, the fewer mice. The more bumblebees, the better the crop. And the more kindly old ladies there are in the village, the more cats there will be. Or me and my wife. If you happen not to be a Hindu or a vegetarian and are a beef-eating Occidental, (laughs) you will commend the old ladies who keep the cats, who hunt the mice, who destroy the bumblebees, who make the pasture of clover for the cattle. Hope I read that right. If you're a cat, you also will be in favor of the old ladies. But if you're a field mouse, how different the rights and wrongs of of that section of the universe. The old ladies who keep the cats will seem about as kindly as witches with pet tigers, and the old lady peril will be debated hysterically by the Field Mouse (laughs) Security League. For what could a patriotic mouse think of a world in which bumblebees did not exist for the sole purpose of producing white grubs for field mice? There would seem to be no law and order in such a world, and only a highly philosophical mouse would admit with Bergeron that, "...the idea of disorder objectifies for the convenience of language the disappointment of a mind that finds before it an order different from what it wants." For the order which we recognize as good is an order suited to our needs, hopes, and habits. A narcissistic perspective, self-interest. If you start putting the definition of justice in the hands of identitarians, pretty soon, these different factions are going to be at each other's throats. Equality. That was what we once strove for. Not equity, not equal outcomes, but everybody should have the equal chance to succeed Pursue life, liberty, and happiness and all that. Equal opportunity based on perseverance, your skills, whatever strengths you have, that's on you. You have the equal opportunity to go, get what it is that you want, dependent upon your strengths and weaknesses and how hard you work and how perseverant you are. That's what we used to strive for. That's the country that, that when I was a kid, when I was a young adult, Fuck, man, when I was over 30. That's what we were striving for. Equality. Equality and opportunity. Not forced outcome. That's not justice. Because to force an outcome in favor of somebody else, you have to take it away from another person. That is not justice. That's what that whole story is about. You become the cat. Eating the field mouse. Pretty soon, well, (laughs) it's not really a good analogy because in this case... You know, the cat's bigger than the field mouse, right? It's almost like lions and tigers, right? You've got a lion pissing and moaning, oppressing or trying to take something from the tiger. The tiger's going to get pissed off. But one of those, those two animals, those two little beasts, one can't dominate the other. They have to tear each other to shreds. One's going to live, one's going to die, the other's going to be injured. And if you have this fight going on in your house, if you have a lion and tiger fighting in your living room, the living room being the country, what happens to your fucking living room? I'm full of metaphors. Worthy and unworthy victims. Justice. Environmental racism. We are in a messy place. This really bothers me what's happening with these people. how, How East Palestine has been ignored. I don't care what happens moving forward from here. They they may try to go over the top and send all these people, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't matter. The initial response, the initial inclination of how to treat these people in Ohio, in Ohio, based on their worthiness as victims, based on their race, based on their demographic, based on the woke theocracy. Lots of people are seeing this. Lots of people are paying attention to it. Making these little mental notes. Talked about boomerangs. I talked about it in a couple episodes. I mean, it's a big deal. It's a a big psychological. You understand this. you've, You've experienced this ever since you were a kid. Somebody tells you what to do. Somebody says something to you in the wrong tone of voice. Somebody tries to order you around your instinct. Your primary instinct is to do the opposite. Just to show them. Just to spite them. You won't be the boss of me. That's how people are. They're stubborn. They're obstinate. They don't want to be, they don't want to be pushed, they don't want to be tugged, they don't want to be ordered around. They want to at least have the illusion of autonomy, agency. When somebody strikes starts to try to force you to do something or do something and, you know, treating you a certain way that you don't necessarily like, you push back. All sorts of applications socially, psychologically, and that's coming. Again, this ties into what I was talking about earlier, Newton's third law of extremism. You see the extremist over here. That's not your extremist. So that gives you permission. Well, I'll show them. Hold my beer. We'll radicalize this way. Just as far as you've radicalized this way. Well, then the boomerang comes back around, and then these people see what you've done. When does it end? When does this game of fucking toxic pickleball end? And how do you end it? How do you, how do you neutralize that? I could take this all the way back to the very first segment of the show, talking about guns. You're not going to get rid of guns. You want to end mass shootings, you've got to attack the problem societally. Why do we hate each other? Why what is wrong? Why are people feeling so empty? So angry? Whatever it is, why are they feeling that way? Why is that? Who knows? I'm about spent. Thank you ever so much for uh, clicking in. Hopefully, the uh, audio went okay. I got, somebody just chimed in saying they can't hear me. It's all right. I got it over here. <laughs> <clears throat> escapeinthecave.com that's the website it's kind of kind of dead it's going to be moving I'm going to be moving that URL over to Substack until I do check out the Substack site tons of LX. I've got the YouTube channel over there as well I have some videos up there check out the podcast make sure you subscribe to that because this is first and foremost a podcast <laughs> I think the voice is holding up okay since I've been at this for two hours and five minutes it's not so bad I feel like I'm forgetting some. Am I forgetting some? Yeah. Some more coffee. <sighs> One of these days I'll figure out when to start the damn music bed. <laughs> Till next time, so long. Thanks for listening.